We're back on Never Settle, part two of this three-part series, Katie Gethy. She is a personal financial blogger. The first episode, we talked on what's going on, what's what can use some improvement. We'll move away from the word wrong, maybe, but going to what can use some improvement. And today's episode, sharing more on what we can gain from getting our personal finances in order around mindset and emotion. Katie and Sam. Sam the cat, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Are you happy to be here? Yeah, he's Sam happy to be here too. Regular. <laughs> he's a regular. <laughs> so we talked in the first episode, you know, what's really going on in the financial world. What is taking away from, you know, personal empowerment is what it comes down to. The the lack of mm-hmm. ability of personal empowerment and taking charge in our own finances. So what's a lot of that fueled from and why should we bother? Mm. When you say, what is it fueled from? Do you mean that lack of autonomy and empowerment in personal finance for, for many it's people? Certainly, yes, it certainly can be. Yes. That education and, you know, mm. along those lines. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, I think this one's layered and, I think there's, it it certainly does come down to a lot of the things that we touched on in part one. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, make sure you do that. But um, the jargon and the terminology and and what are we calling it? The convenient confusion. I like that. The intentional (laughs) convenient confusion of the industry. I also think there's a, a fundamental misunderstanding of the amount of information that you actually have to know in order to build wealth. Like I think with a lot of things in life, but in in personal finance, you know, being no different, I think we tend to bring this all or nothing mindset. It's like, I kind of liken it to like being healthy. If you eat something for like shitty in the middle of the day at lunch, it's kind of like, oh, this whole day is shot. I'm so off track. Like who cares? It doesn't matter now. It's that all or nothing mindset. And I think that it can be very damaging in the personal finance world because we have this preconceived notion or, you know, many of us have this narrative about ourselves. I know I did before I started learning about it that, well, I wasn't a business major. Well, I didn't study finance. Well, they didn't teach me this in school. Well, I studied communications or, you know, there was this idea that like, I don't know enough for it to matter. And the, the gap between what I know now and what I need to know for it to matter is so wide that I'm not even going to bother when in reality, you really don't have to know much at all to invest successfully and to start building wealth successfully. And I all, that's kind of the grand irony of all of this. I always kind of bring it back to the, the core tenets of positive personal finance, which is focus on earning more, spending less, and investing the difference. That's really what it comes down to when you, when you take away all the fluff and all the terminology and sure you can optimize each piece of that to the nth degree, but really those are the fundamentals. That's your foundation. And in the year 2021 and 2022, I assume when this goes live, we're recording this in December of 21, but when this, uh, when this goes live, it'll likely be 2022 and the amount of technological advancements in the financial space, it's unbelievable. You can literally go to a robo-advisor right now, open a Roth IRA, 
or open just a general taxable investing account, put in a thousand dollars, answer a few questions about the type of returns you expect and when you would like that money and an algorithm will do the rest for you. So I think for a lot of people, um, that blocker is just, I think they, they overestimate how difficult it's going to be to get started and to create a successful outcome for themselves. And I think that overestimation of the effort required um, and maybe underestimation of how fun it can be because I think it's fun and exciting, but <laughs> the combo of those things kind of keeps them out of the game. They, they don't even play because they think there's no way they can win. I think, um, I think it's sexy to be able to manage Me your finances. Too. You know, it's like to be able to manage it, it's boss level. You know, take the gender part out of it. It's just boss level of, I got this in order. And mm -hmm. it is not taught in school intentionally. All of this mm -hmm. is left off the table, you know, when it comes to health, when it comes to finances. And it's just, you're given the history book, which is great for looking back. But what about look, looking forward as we're talking about? And uh, that's a, a great way to break it down of to make more, focus mm -hmm. on making more, spending less, mm -hmm. and to invest the rest. And I just wanted mm -hmm. to reiterate that because it's a powerful mantra. It rhymes as well, whether <laughs> you meant to do that or not, it does. So it, it catches you. And it's like right before you're about to buy mm -hmm. some dumb thing online, mm -hmm. it gives you that moment to stop, pause, and think. And it almost disrupts the cycle of what we were taught. So that kind of leads into my next question is how much of our financial knowledge, you know, before a greater awakening is emotional? Mm, I mean, I guess I would argue almost all of it. All of it. Um, and the reason I would say all of it or, or near all of it is because money is, is one of the most emotional things in our lives. And I think I fall victim all the time to being like, well, it's just math. I mean, come on, just look at the numbers. It just makes sense. Like, look at the compound interest chart. Don't buy the new car. Do this instead. It's just math. But realistically, if you think back on your first memories around money, most people, and I'm generalizing, but I, I think I'm comfortable making this generalization, most people's first memories around money were probably negative because most people in the United States are not fabulously wealthy. Like if you look at a wealth disparity chart of the richest people in the United States compared to kind of the rest of us, you get this picture of, uh, there's like a top 10%, the top 1%, everybody knows about them. That's Bezos and Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and, and the millennials and the elder millennials that have made billions of dollars on their tech companies. But there is a, a quieter wealth that that is in that top 10%. These are the people that can send their kids to private schools and drive really nice cars and live in really nice homes and can afford to retire. But like, just just the numbers alone would tell us that most children, 90% of kids in the United States are going to grow up middle class or lower class, which means your first memories of money as a kid are probably being told that you can't have something that mom and dad can't afford that, that you know, we need to cut back on this or that mom has to work more because we don't have enough money. Like it's, it's just interesting when you go back in your own programming and kind of identify like, what was I told about money and taught about wealth from a very young age? Maybe your parents like said terrible things about the rich people 
that lived a few neighborhoods away from you because your parents had ideas about what being rich meant. And maybe you have internalized that. And now you think that being rich is bad. And maybe you feel guilt for wanting to be wealthy because somewhere deep down in your animal brain, you still believe that rich people are bad. So it's, it's really worth examining the messages that we soaked up and the programming that we soaked up as kids to consciously make sure that we aren't passing that stuff down to anybody else. And maybe more importantly, making the decision about whether those are beliefs that we really want to uphold, whether those are things that we really want to continue to manifest for ourselves. And, you know, when you, when you say like, why is it so emotional? I, I just think about the relationship between money and worth and in my own life, like I always really correlated my self-worth to my GPA when I was in school because it was a metric that I could look at and say, this is my value. I'm a 4.0 or I'm a 3.9. I'm an A plus, a 100%. Yeah, I'm smart. I'm, I, yeah. Yes. And I attached to that because it made me feel safe and it made me feel reassured that I was enough. And I think money and status works very much the same way. It's a benchmark in society against we can all against which we can all judge ourselves and each other. Say I'm here, you're there, I have this, you have that. It's natural to compare yourself. I think that's just human nature, but it's also helpful to identify when that's not serving you. And so I really like the idea of I I heard this a long time ago. Uh, when we see other people that have success or have wealth or have the things that we, you know, maybe we're even afraid to admit that we want, saying something to the effect of, well, she has created a lot of wealth for herself and so can I. Well, she is super successful and so am I. It's that and so am I part versus the let me discount what that person has done. Let me somehow assign judgment or value to what that person has done. Um yeah. So instead of separating it, you're more so bringing it closer together, which is powerful. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll add a, a personal um, mention to this because you talk mm-hmm. about with numbers and GPA and also, you know, I, I did the same thing and I was mm-hmm. like, I'm smart. I'm smart. I have this, I have 3.9, you know, now they changed the whole grading system and everything. So it's like, way to go school, keep switching it up, make it sound confusing more for all of us. And I used to do the same thing with my grades and I was defined by my grades and how I did in athletics. And the part that I'm now working on personally, and this is just opening up to reiterate what you were sharing, the number of hours that I'm behind this computer or I'm working or that I am, you know, I hate the word busy. I just, I hate the word busy. It doesn't define my financial success. I actually am focusing now on working less to free up more creative time because that's where the real gold is. Okay, good. (laughs) We're in the same. Same. That is my 2022 goal. We are very on the same page. I was like, I need to work smarter, not harder. I want to spend less, like fewer hours behind a desk and make more money with that time. Like, let's be strategic here. Correct. On it completely. And the last part we were talking about um, investing, you know, off off the record here um, before we hit record, we were talking about with investing and how some will check, you know, and I, same thing with crypto. It's like, if you follow the volatility of both of, um, you know, investing portfolios of crypto, you know, do you recommend for or against that and why? 
<laughs> yeah, so my my perspective is obviously it's it's going to depend on your goals. If you're trying to be a day trader, that's a very different goal and path than being a long-term investor. And I think identifying and in setting those expectations for yourself at the outset can save you a lot of pain along the way. So when I say that, I, I just mean that, you know, for most people, your first introduction to the idea of investing was probably some story about some person, probably a white man who tripled or quadrupled his money or put it all in on Tesla in 2012 and now is worth X. Like some, some crazy story where one big bet paid off. But that is a very different endeavor than how we conventionally and traditionally think of long-term investing, which is just buying assets that we believe over time are going to go up in value. So that doesn't mean you're trying to get rich quick. That doesn't mean you're trying to double or triple your money in a couple of weeks. It just means I'm going to use my money to purchase assets that are going to go up in value. That way I don't, you know, I don't have a bunch of stuff that's worthless. And I also don't have a bunch of cash that's worthless because cash loses value over time too. So it's like, how can we deploy the cash that we have to purchase assets that are going to go up in price, whether that is cryptocurrency, whether that's index funds, whether that is a single stock that you believe in. But if you are a long-term investor and you believe in the long-term potential of something that you're investing in, the day-to-day -day volatility isn't going to matter to you because your time horizon isn't two weeks. Your time horizon is 15, 20, 30 years. So I would always tell people, hey, if you're a long-term investor and that's what you're trying to do, don't even look at the stock market on a day-to-day -day basis. It literally doesn't matter to you because you don't need that money for decades and you're not making a short-term bet. You're making a long-term bet. And history tells us that those long-term bets pretty much always pay off, especially when we're looking at time periods longer than 10 or 15 years. I can't remember the exact statistic, but it is something to the effect of, you know, any investment made in the S&P 500, you know, over any given 15 year period in history, 100% of the time you're going to make money. So it's really, you know, when people talk about risk and investing and volatility, I think it's, it's helpful to separate and identify and really define what we mean by those terms, because volatility in and of itself is meaningless. It's, it's really just what you can stomach as an investor. But risk, to me, I personally define risk as the chances of having less money later. And when I look at a broad-based index fund over any 10 or 15-year period, I'm like, okay, well, if you look at it that way, then my risk is zero because 100% of the time in history, this has made money. So I think just expand the horizon and and don't pay attention to the to the day to day volatility. That would be, you know, if you really believe in the asset that you're buying and you believe in in the the value of it, the volatility should be a non starter for you. So see the market like a Monet, pull it on back, and there we go. 
You are full of amazing, amazing (laughs) quotes. I wish you could just follow me around all day and like turn everything I say into poetry because that's what you've done so far. That's the art. (laughs) I think on that too, this is exactly why I want to do more um, interviews exactly like this because oftentimes finances can sound, and yours is not, by the way. So everybody want to check out Katie's um, blog because she has a lot of resources that do add spice to it it is not you know the the typical market jargon of blah 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 <laughs> and do bloom you know even oh my gosh yeah cream. it's just it's so it it fuels you to to trigger your emotion to then buy or sell mm-hmm. how the media wants you to operate you know there's that's a whole mm-hmm. different conversation for a different subject but uh you know, there's there's different ways to see it. And I think that's where we want to add a little more life and a little more relatability, which you do brilliantly oh, in your thank blog. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. And I, I will even say, I feel like my answers today have not been particularly interesting or spicy. So if they're like, you know, this woman's not interesting, I promise the blog has a little bit more sass. I just want to make so. <laughs> I want to make sure that that you're getting plenty of um plenty of value and plenty of reality today. So, but I I do really, really appreciate that compliment a lot. It means a lot to me. I try to make it interesting. From truth. This is pure concentrate. (laughs) No artificial flavoring. Pure. Well, you you have a gift. And share too. So on part three of this series, because we do have one more, we're going to go into some of the, I would love to dive into the strategies of exactly what we can do on an individual basis, set Mm -hmm. some goals for 2022. And I know you have some tools to help us do that. So Katie, we're going to pick this up in episode three. And I cannot wait to bring you listeners more. Stay tuned to the next part in this and never settle.